Well, welcome again to another episode of Big Ideas in App Architecture. I once again am thrilled to be joined by a very exciting guest. We have today with us Stephen Blum, who is the co-founder and CTO of PubNub. And the way I like to start these conversations, just because it's a great way to kind of, you know, kick off, um, you know, the next 20, 30, 40 minutes is let's start by hearing just a little bit about who you are, um, you know, what you're doing today at PubNub and really, you know, to some extent how you got here. You know, I think it's so fascinating to understand people's journeys, not only what they're doing today, obviously, but kind of how they got there. So welcome to the show. And let's start by just learning a little bit about you and what you're up to. Ooh, yeah, thank you, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of uh, exciting things uh, that I think I like are the tech and advanced algorithms. I'm very interested in that. Uh, but also banking systems that are stable. I definitely like those things these days. <laughs> Not having to stay up late at night thinking about those things. Yes, that's important these days, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and uh, the new way of the world uh, we are starting to see with artificial intelligence and how it's being remarkably impressive uh, and surprising and some of the things that it's able to achieve. Have you played with any of it recently, Tim? So I did. Well, I, I, I don't know. So let me tell you what I have done. And, I, and I, I'm kind of coming up to speed with some of these technologies. So you can tell me whether or not this is like, you know, kind of the latest and greatest. But that was a couple of weeks ago, we had to go to Miami. We had our, our kind of our sales kickoff, right? You know, I work at Cockroach Labs, beginning of the fiscal year. You know, we've got we to gotta kind of kick everything off. And so I was asked to deliver a presentation on kind of some of who the people we think are our competitors and, you know, kind of what they are. So I did two things and leverage, you know, this kind of what, you know, this kind of AI stuff that you read about in the paper, right? So I are in the news. So I did, um, I asked ChatGPT <laughs> um, what the difference between Cockroach and one of our competitors was. And I saw, uh, I, and I got to read uh, those responses, which was incredibly fascinating, by the way, because surprisingly, it was actually very, very accurate. And what was interesting is if I would kind of rephrase the question just slightly, you know, it would take a slightly different tone. That was really my first, I mean, you hear about it in the news and see about it and Reddit and all this other stuff, but I'd never really played with it. So I did that. So that's the first thing. And then strangely enough, um, our sales leaders got into this whole thing about being either, what was it, sharks or lions. Um, hmm. And so I went to, I think it's Stable Diffusion, which is one of these sim similar kind of like AI image generator things. And I said something about a shark and a lion. And it created this image for me that was <laughs> like a, a lion on a, on a shark's body jumping out of the water. Anyway, I, you know, is that, is that particularly useful, Stephen? I, probably not. But back to the chat GPT stuff, it actually was really neat. I mean, the, the kind of the power of asking a system like that a very simple question and getting something legible in return, understandable and really quite honestly accurate in many ways was pretty neat. So that's kind of my limited experience uh, with it. Um, but I know I'm scratching, I'm just scratching like the, you know, the teeny tiny surface of it all. Yep. It's, uh, you know, of course, we're all wondering, is it going to replace human jobs? Yes, it's the answer, pretty much. Do you really point. think so? Is that? Well, I, I here, here's, here's what we're doing with it at, at, at PubNub. So we have, we have a big team, we've got just, uh, just about 200 people. And uh, they spend a lot of time working, developing, building technologies, adding new features, capabilities, making things more optimal, but also product managers and marketing teams that have a lot of content to write. And guess what? We had one of our product managers ask it to create a product roadmap based on some of the items. And it did 
his job for him. <laughs> Which is amazing. And so now what we're doing, here's what we can do right now today. Everyone, every business, this is our advantage right now, but I'm evangelizing internally at PubNub. Use this, the GPT and the large language models to do as much of the work as you can, right? Really? Have it generate as much of your day job and automate as much of your day job as possible. And what's been the reaction to that message? So, so you're the first person I've talked to about this kind of, I don't want to say in great depth, but certainly somebody who kind of has a, kind of has a business that, 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 that they run and operate and is kind of, you know, actively um, investigating. So, so how, how did that message land? I, I can see some people might, or I can imagine some people be like, uh, but maybe not, right? I mean, maybe it's like maybe it's like a relief. Like, hey, maybe this helps me be more efficient and productive, and I can, I can do some other stuff. Yep, the reaction is polarizing. Uh, there's there's some that uh, are resilient to the new way of things. They see that they have, like, for example, technical skills that do outpace in many cases, but it takes them a long time to generate it, a long time. So, if we're creating some code, like writing some Rust or some Golang, it will, the AI will write it way faster, right? And you can just make a few little tweaks. But the challenge is, oh, are we going to uh, run into scenarios that we need to have very specific development and integration? So let me ask um, you about that, because actually this is fascinating, because I have, I write in my job, you know, it's, I, I'm not paid to be a software developer at Cockroach, but I do for various reasons, continue to write a lot of software for, for side projects. And just to kind of keep that, those muscles active, right? I, I'm not yet ready for that to like atrophy and go away from my daily, daily life. But I, I mean, I, I know because I, I see it in, in news, you know, sources that I follow that people are using it to write code. What, what has been that experience for, for you or for y'all? I mean, is it, because I can see it being useful, for example, you know, even if it's not perfect, right? Maybe it, it gets, gets me halfway there or three quarters of the way or there, or, you know, helps me just get down in, in an editor, some kind of boilerplate stuff. And I go have to add my special sauce. And has it been actually that useful? I, I've I honestly never tried it now. Like I, as soon as we're done, I may go, Hey, you know, write me some good old Java, which I like. Um, but is that what they're I mean, are you finding that it's, that it's actually quite useful stuff? Yes, absolutely. And it comes down to, uh, getting used to the tool. So now it's we're we're in the world today where it's a tool that you can use to accelerate your job. I call them labor-saving device. Just like when the vacuum cleaner was invented and the toaster was invented, it's a lot easier to accomplish your tasks day to day, and it saves you a lot of time. And if you with uh, the trick is for GPT, large language model, you need to know what to ask it, and you need to know what kind of segments are important. And then you can work through those things and say, hey, I need to generate a cosine uh, vector search because you want to you do some full text search, but at a, a low volume. Just create me a little simple algorithm in Rust and it will do it. It's like, here's the, here's the embedding function. And then here is uh, the search function. And it will write those for you. And you're like, hey, wait a second. Could those be more optimally written? And guess what it does? <laughs> It'll write them more optimally, more fast, and more efficient and say, hey, and then if you use them like this, it'll be even faster. So you can have it actually do those algorithmic things for you. And then you piece it together. That's where we are today. So can I ask a, I ask a dumb question? Um, you know, hopefully there aren't too many people who hear this and say, geez, that was a dumb question, Tim. Um, 
But I, I guess when I start, how does it know? I mean, I, how does it know how to write like optimized Rust? I mean, and maybe everybody else who might be hearing this kind of understands this, and maybe maybe you don't know any more than I do. But I, I mean, what is happening behind the scenes? Do you have a sense of that? That that I mean, I, I get like writing a description about you know the, the competitive differences between two database, databases. I mean, there's a lot of material written on that, but to, for for it to generate like the answer to a specific problem using Using a, a you know a, a, a programming language, I get it. It's a language, but I don't know. Just do you have a sense of how that's happening behind the scenes, or is this just all the the wizardry that that we just have to kind of accept and understand as is the oh, new right behind new way the curtain? Life? How does it work? It's magic. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me, Steve. Tell me. Let's find the curtain. It's a uh, it's a pattern. So it's all a pattern. Every language is the same. It's just a different syntax, right? And so you say, you know, would you rather do a for loop with a thousand iterations? That's going to be the same in every language. Or would you write it slightly differently? And it doesn't really matter what the language is. Uh, maybe you have your indexing a particular way and using uh, smart hashing of some sort. So that's, that's basically what it does. And all those design patterns are identical. And then you can just walk through them. Oh. What is the source material there? I mean, I guess I was thinking, and again, I'm, I haven't done the reading, so I'm exposing myself as, as actually the true idiot that I am. Uh, but, you know, is it, is it inputting, or is it taking as input APIs and, and, you know, definitions of these programming languages? Is it, is it scouring the interwebs for, you know, GitHub, publicly available GitHub code that has this language to under, I mean, like, where is Stack it? Overflow, I mean, who, GitHub, I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, you know, is that where it's kind of is that the source material that's helping learn and train kind of the the language model for these things? So OpenAI, is, you know, is definitely the big one in the news these days. They just released ChatGTP four, and uh, if you have the ChatGTP plus, where you pay twenty bucks a month, you can get the preview access to it now, and it gives you a much larger input. So the version three gave you four thousand tokens. Version four gives you 32,000 tokens, which means you can put giant documents in or huge code, you know, huge pages of code and, and have, have it do specific tasks against those. So it's, it's getting the bigger it gets, the more work it can do. And that means it can do work on large code bases now versus smaller ones. You know, it's funny, uh, it's just sitting here thinking, so I, I'm pretty active in, in, in that, you know, as I said, I write a lot of code but I end up building a lot of kind of almost utility stuff that I find useful in, in, in different things. And, and I have been, been working on this, this tool to auto-generate or auto-populate databases uh, based on analyzing the schema that, that you know, a code base can inspect from, say, for example, a JDBC endpoint. So, you know, in other words, connect to some database, inspect the metadata, and then fully populate based on rules Etc. The full schema, including the referential integrity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, I've been working on this for a little while, and I kind of have run into this like this block where I can't quite figure out how I want to solve this problem. And it's one of those things where you know it's just me working on it, and it, it, I've hit this wall. It's like writer's block. I can't get beyond it, and so I haven't worked on this project in a while because I cannot. I cannot like reason about a solution to this particular problem I'm having. I'm wondering if that's the kind of thing that I ought to like, hey, and I can't even remember where I got stuck now. I mean, I kind of do, but I, I, it's like, I wonder if that's the kind of thing that might be useful. It's like, even if it just gave me 
a hint at like how to maybe solve this problem. Ooh, and it, it can, it can be a good idea to narrate you. And Tim, you and I were actually talking last week. We were talking about kind of a neat idea where you could ask it to just run a query against the database. And now even with large schema sizes, you could say, hey, GPT, here's the database schema. Can you write me a query that does X, Y, and Z? And guess what it will do? <laughs> and it will pass you back the query. And then you just pass that off to your, your cockroach database and two API calls, boom, you got your answer. Yeah, you know, we talked about it and I kept meaning to go explore. I, I, I think that would be such a fascinating um, way because to interact with the database, because right now, you know, interestingly enough, you know, we, we ask a lot of questions about our own data, right? You know, our, our customers, our prospects, who's viewing our docs, who's, you know, who's creating issues in our GitHub. There's like so much data out there, right? And if we could, you know, if we could centralize it, that would be an interesting thing. But then just, you know, having the understanding of the domain model so that you can write intelligent queries and, 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 you know, associate different pieces of data together to, to find interesting patterns. That's not a, that's a non-trivial exercise, you know, but think about that. Think about the power of, of having something like, you know, the data accessible in a, in a, in a domain model schema that that's well understood, but instead of having to have somebody sitting there and banging away at a SQL editor, writing complex queries, you simply say, Hey, you know, how many issues, you know, how many critical issues were created over the last quarter? And, and, you know, who, yeah, to me, it would be a, and I'm sure there are many people already working on it, but having chat GPT or something like that as an interface to a database, much like we treat standards today, like JDBC or other things, like it is the gateway, you know, that's the gateway to the database instead of these kind of other protocols it'd be super fascinating. Tim, I think you just, uh, eliminated a few data analyst jobs just now. <laughs> just, just a we don't want to talk about I, I'm not, I'm not empowered to have those conversations, not a cockroach. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, would it be interesting though? I mean, if, if, because at the end of the day, right, there's some data that, that you want to have completely accessible and you don't necessarily, and it's, this is the promise in a lot of ways of, of lots of, of tools and, and, and careers is to make data to somewhat extent accessible so that people, you know, not only have, know what questions to ask, but, but, you know, perhaps spend enough time in the data just to learn what questions are interesting to think about. And sometimes there's a barrier to entry to that, right? It's that I don't know enough to write, to explore the data, to understand what questions to ask of it. You know, if we could solve that and make data truly accessible to people who knew nothing more than just common English language, be really, really, really powerful stuff. That is interesting. One of the hard problems with data in general is even knowing what question to ask from the data. It's exactly right. Exactly. I think that's what, like, what I see just in some of the internal work that, that we have, that's what we struggle with more than anything. You know, it's, I can get you the data if I knew a question to ask, right? But I'm not, I'm not sure what the question is because I don't know what the story the data is telling, you know? But I want to pause this train because I like this. First of all, I like this, this train of thought. We may come back to that, but I want to give you an opportunity uh, because, you know, folks listening may not understand what PubNub does. Um, and I want to, I want you to, you know, to have an opportunity to kind of talk about, cause I, I spent it since you and I last spoke kind of doing some research on, on what you all have been doing. You've been, you've been at it for a little while. Um, but you know, tell us a, a little bit about, about what you guys are doing. Cause I think it's, it's a really fascinating, 
Um, it, your company is very fascinating. Uh, kind of the, the problems that you're solving, there's a lot to it. And I want to hear about it. I, I want you to have a, an opportunity to, to kind of tell the story if you so desire. And then we can go back to talking about ChatGPT. But <laughs> yeah. I want to, I'd love to hear more about, about what y'all are building. Yes, absolutely. I'm excited to tell you about PubNub. We're a developer API platform that allows multi-user collaboration. And so when you're ordering uh, your food to be delivered, right? And you want to track the order status and you want to see where the car is because it's lunchtime and you need that burrito as fast as possible. This is what we help with. These are the things. Uh, multiplayer games, right? When you have people in the same, same realm or same arena, they need to be able to coordinate with each other and where they are uh, and compete against the different teams. And this requires data communication over a wide variety of networks and platforms. Uh, and this is, this is where we shine as well. Uh, games will launch on Xbox and PlayStation and PC, and they can all work together seamlessly over the same network. Uh, and we power a lot of the experiences. And this is, this is what we do. Uh, and we have, we've been doing it for 12 years. And guess what? Back in the day, I was so worried that, oh, how are we going to get to scale to 10 million users? 10 million users, so many users. How are we going to? We're over 1 billion users now on our network. It's, it's just, it's uh, been a journey. It can tell you that for sure. And this is, this is where the AI comes into the picture because we have so much data going through our network right now. And there's so much opportunity to leverage some of these advanced technologies. We're, we're, we're at the, this, the time is now. The time to do it. The time, the, the time is now. Strike while the iron is hot. All right. So um, before before we talk about kind of some of the advanced tech stuff, because I, I really do, you know, twelve years it seems like a long time these days. I, I don't know why it strikes me as a long time. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's a blink of an eye. And uh, but you know, maybe if you can, you know, what 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 was the spark that got this thing started? You know, twelve years ago, you sat down and said, "All right, this is something we need to do." Um, I, I, you know, you said it's been a journey and I want to understand a little bit more about that journey because I think one of the most fascinating things just from an architectural perspective is, you know, Hey, I, I start with some idea and, and, you know, to get to a billion, it, it looks maybe potentially a different thing, but, but maybe, so the first question really is what was that thing that was like, Hey, this is a problem we've got to solve right now. Nobody's doing, or somebody is, and we can do it better. Can you, can you share what, what some of that kind of initial spark was to get you and the team kind of going in the early days? Yeah. Uh, well, I could, I could just tell you from personal experience, I like to play video games. I like to wake up late in the morning and not have to worry about anything. And I was worried that I might not be able to do that forever. So how do I make it so that's possible where I can do that every day for the rest of my life? Let's start a business that just takes care of itself. And how do we do that? How do we, how do we build a business that's automatic like that? Well, API company. Okay, that's great. Let's do a freemium business model. That'll attract a lot of people without me having to do a lot of work. And also gives you a lot of beta testers and QA testers for free, right? So there's that started to spiral. Okay, well, if we just go this path and then uh, there are like multiple business ideas, let's go down this, uh, you know, connection path, right? I need something that can allow us to have multiple user communication. This is when iPhones were, you know, just starting. They didn't even have push notifications back then when we got started. There was no sort of uh, way to communicate between this device other than SMS. So how do we enable those developer level experiences to build games, on-demand economy, 
there wasn't even Uber. Like this thing, the way you ordered a taxi was you called someone on a phone and said, hey, can I have a taxi? I, I'm at this address. And they're like, mm, maybe we'll have someone there. I remember these yeah. days. I remember these days. So, so we painful days, painful. painful. Days, yeah. So stone it. it. Yeah. It feels like now, cause it's so much easier. Just press the button, which is so great. I love that. And so my, myself, my co-founder Todd, we were working on ideas to help, uh, build this new world, this new way of communication. And, uh, we, we launched PubNub and API immediately got customers, immediately got paying customers. We were making more money than we were. So we had, you know, positive revenue. Uh, and then we we realized that all this effort that we put into it is now leading to more effort. So it's like the success is breeding more work. So we had to hire more. And- <laughs> we had to put more hours in. And, you know, years later, it's still the same thing. And here you thought, I'm just going to start this business. And it's going to allow me to sleep in and play video games. And then all of a sudden, the opposite happened. <laughs> I, I, now I have to work more. Now I don't get to sleep in. Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm sorry it happened that way for you. Yeah. But That's how it works. It sounds like it's been a pretty good ride. Has been a good ride. And you get along the way all these opportunities to learn how business operates, grows and scales. And you get to the, you know, the big B's in terms of numbers. And it ends up, uh, you learn a lot. And you gain these skills over the years. And you realize... You want to leverage these skills more and more, and it is fun and satisfying to do that. And so now that's, that's what I want to do on my day-to-day basis. I want to do these things. I like just keep, cause I just got used to it and it ends up being a little more exciting and rewarding than video games. Why? Because video games are like this box where you can just, you know, you, you go in, yeah, there's some puzzles in there. They're just too easy now. I'll tell you what's hard. What's challenging? Business. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's the trick. Uh, what video games, just out of curiosity, are, are, were you a big fan of or are you a fan now? Or is that it's not, not something that, that you would share? No, I mean, sure. I love the, the Metroid games. I love those. Oh, yeah. Those are great. Original Metroid games. Mm-hmm. That's like, uh, that's old school right there. There you go. I like those. Yeah. And uh, just uh, the Mega Man games. Um, yeah. Old school stuff, mm-hmm. right? It's very much into those. And that's what got me into software development was gaming. It's like, I want to make games like those too. I want to build it. Huh. Did, have you ever built a game? I have, yeah. I've made uh, several games uh, in, in high school and college. And there weren't really... The internet was different back then, as I say. It's not a good distribution model. Games was all CDs and things like that. So it didn't turn those into businesses. So if we go back to, to kind of the journey, and again, I find this, this stuff so fascinating talking to the folks who have, have you know, kind of started, founded businesses and, and, and ultimately made them very successful. I mean, you know, we talk about it from like an application architecture perspective. You know, obviously you're sitting here, hey, we just got to get started. I'm assuming you, so correct me if I'm wrong. Hey, we got to get started. You know, here's kind of an MVP or our first release. You know, I can't, maybe you did, but I can't imagine, you know, on day one or, or day 90, you expected you know, from an architecture perspective to support a billion users. I, I, I'm sure your goals were more modest initially. I, I, where I'm going is, you know, what were some of those, like, those hurdles you had to cross where like, hey, we built something that supported X number of users. And now wait a minute to take it to the next level. We have to, you know, we have to get here. I mean, what was that journey like? Were, were there 
you know, architectural evolutions of the product uh, that, that got you from, you know, like day one to, to here we are 12 years later with billions of, of, of users? It's a lot of iteration, yes. Uh, joining Todd in his dining room on a whiteboard, we drew out what this would look like if it were to scale to the world, scale to the moon. We realized high replication, globally distributed, CDN style data availability. And there's a big difference with how PubNub works versus a content delivery network. We're a data push, right? We send data direct to devices, usually you know, these mobile devices that have you know, networks that you know, can change from Wi-Fi to you know, 4 and 5G. We need to still get the message to that device. And how do we do that and reliably? Well, high replication, eventual consistency. That's the model that we chose. So when you send a message into PubNub to be delivered to a target device, that message gets copied multiple times per region. We have 17 regions deployed globally. And that means your message is available in all those regions. So anyone nearby will be connected to that region and be able to receive it directly from that region. So this gives us the fan out model, which you can mass broadcast. A lot of events, sporting events, live national television events use us for that type of capability. Uh, and that's what helped us scale is those types of major media events uh, has built and built our system. So are you saying in, the, in this dining room, in this dining room setting in front of the whiteboard, you guys initially said, look, we know we're going to make this or we know we want this to be global. Here's what this looks like. So you, kinda, you started out kind of thinking big as opposed to like, hey, let me just, you know, I, I don't know, like 100,000 people I want to serve. Let's get something. Well, I mean, that is smart, right? Because I think that's the challenge we see a lot of times, you know, certainly from our perspective at a database company, oftentimes working with people who are transitioning from one stage of growth to the next for a variety of reasons. You know, I'm here and I want to be here. I want to be global. You know, a lot of times people don't take the right steps or, or design really for that kind of growth early on. And that transition from you know, an early vision to, you know, what my, what my next, my next vision is often a painful transition for folks. Uh, so it, it's really, it's really good that, you know, some, there are people out there that are like, Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, we've got big plans. We're going to start early. You know, it, in looking back are the things though, that like, you know, are the things you, you could go back and tell yourself back then, like, Hey, whisper in your ear, like, Hey, architecturally we had the right idea, but you know, this is something we shouldn't have done or, or should do. I mean, a- anything that you kind of look back on like that and say, uh, boy, I wish I, I wish I, I wish I knew then what I know now. Oh man. From an architectural perspective, we had a really good start. Everything had to follow the model that we had built with our message bus. So global distribution can operate in an always on model sort of like the concept of no, no backups, right? I don't want to pay for hardware that just sits there as a backup. That hardware is active. I'm paying for it right now. It needs to be in the pool of live active traffic and say, you know, you need to build your software so it's fault tolerant. If one piece of hardware fails, it needs to route to the next one. That's a lot of the code that we wrote is built for that level of tolerance. That's, that was the, the hard tricky uh, IP that we wrote for our system for this message bus and for high reliability of message delivery. 
that needed to be that model had to copy to all our other subsystems, which are presence detection. I need to know if that device is still active right now this very second. Is that device online? Can I send that mess? Can I send a message to that device? Yes, I can. It's online. So that's that's the model that we took, and that's how we started off. Do I have regrets? Did I did we miss anything? There's a couple of things, uh, but like uh, we spent too much time building one particular component. So we have a component called PubNub functions. Now this is this is a JavaScript uh, environment that allows you to program the messages as they're going through the network. The requirement was minimal to no latency, right? And so our latency in processing messages means that 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 processor has to be right at that same region where the ingress is. So we have to have globally distributed uh, compute for that to happen. But when we got started, um, the team uh, chose an event bus called Kafka, which is a lot better these days. But back then, it was brand new. And it was like the way to get going. But the design didn't match the latency requirements. It took 26 seconds to process the data, which is a little bit slow. And it took us, we spent you know too long on that, year plus. And at the end of the day, it just couldn't meet the needs. So we rechanged the model to operate in a JavaScript environment that set side by side uh, with the message bus in the load balancer. Um, so I guess just time was lost in that case. You know, one thing I, I, I sometimes wonder about, I wonder if, if I, I don't think this is part of it, maybe it is. Uh, you know, I observe not only sometimes internally, but certainly externally when we're talking to, to customers is that, you know, kind of if people get stuck and, um, and, and you'll hear this term a lot, you know, don't let, uh, perfect be the enemy of good kind of thing where you spend an awful lot of time, you know, kind of in, in coding, we used to call it like pre-optimization, you know, but is this something y'all have struggled with? I think a lot of people do. I, I certainly have in, in, in different roles I've had where it's like, you know, you so desperately because you have a grand vision, you know, so desperately want to get it right and make it perfect now. But to your point, you know, you can, you can lose valuable time, you know, whether it's over-engineering or overthinking kind of solutions when actually the best course of action is just to get, because there is no better teacher than real world, you know, real people using the system, real experience. But sometimes I think that gets lost. I, I see teams, I see people sometimes just, you know, spending so much time trying to get it, to get it perfect, you know, and they lose that, a window closes on them when that happens. Is that part of it? Or have you seen that? I mean, am I? Yeah, there is opportunity loss. If you don't get to market quick and you don't iterate quickly, you don't get customers. Uh, so we, I mean, we did, that was PubNub version 0.1, right? It wasn't the globally distributed bottle. It needed to be after we <laughs> got a lot of customers, <laughs> but, uh, it started with one region, one data center, not replicated, uh, and, uh oh, yeah, not that fault tolerant, but it did deliver messages. It, it did the trick. And so we needed a, a system that was much more robust, much more scalable. So that was a second system that we had to build. It's an exciting journey, isn't it? It is, yeah. And it's, uh, it's just as many highs in, as there are lows. Speaking of lows, you know, one of the things I think, I think you and I talked about, but certainly it's been a topic of conversation for me even this week. I mean, I'm here for those of, you who maybe listened or watched previous podcasts, I'm in a different location. I'm up here in our, our New York City office using, um, using the studio that we have here. Actually, 
interestingly enough, the office that I'm, I'm in and, and the studio I'm sitting in used to be, our office in New York used to be Peloton's uh, New York headquarters. And so I think they, they used to shoot some, I think this is true, I could have this wrong, but I, I was led to believe they used to, at least in the room I'm sitting in now, shoot some of kind of their promotional material, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, this is the first time I've been back in New York in, in a long time. I mean, not, not since the pandemic. I've been here after that, but certainly it's been a while. Um, you know, the world's been a crazy place over the last couple of years. And you, you know, what's interesting, I think, about, about your story, because some of the folks I've talked to more recently have, have, have been at their organizations a lot less time than you have. So, you know, you had what would be, what, eight, nine years of, of PubNub before the pandemic, right? And then the pandemic hits and everybody's world changes in, in sometimes tragic uh, ways. Um, you know, so you guys had the opportunity, I would imagine, to have built a culture and a way to work. And, 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 and I don't know much about that, but how has it been, you know, um, kind of navigating um, the impact, you know, being away from each other, not traveling, all this stuff, not only you know, maybe on the company culture, but just perhaps even because uh, I've talked to this about this with other people, just the, the ability to build a product, you know, or, or manage a product. It, it can be challenging when you're used to doing it, for example, maybe in person. I, can you comment maybe on how this is, how this is impact kind of, of y'all culturally and, and then maybe from a product and, and uh, you know, yeah, it's, maybe it hasn't, but it's, di it's different. Uh, so going to a remote first work culture, from before it was an in-person first work culture. So it was, so y'all were in person. That was your thing. It was mm -hmm. like, be there, be square kind of. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we had a very similar thing, certainly in New York. Yeah. It was, uh, we're, we're here in uh, South of market, San Francisco every day, going to the office and, uh, you know, got, still had the meetings on the calendar, still met and still talked. There's a lot more in-person that uh, walking over to desks and things like that. But, you know, it, there's still, there's a, there's a facsimile to that today is Slack. We Slack's like use direct message. Hey, walk over their desk type situation. It's not the same because you're that person, uh, human bandwidth, that, uh, emotion is gone. It's basically gone and it, that, that's a challenge. And so it becomes a, what words do I use to convey the right thoughts, you know? as opposed to body language, which is a lot easier to read uh, and a lot more familiar for humans. So that piece is missing. I totally agree with you, by the way. I think um, it's something, I, honestly, I don't know that we talk enough about, which is the importance of, of body language, subtle cues that you pick up on when you're in person. Obviously, I see your face, you see mine, but, you know, I mean, there is so much that is missed, so much nuance, um, you know, over video, which is better than not video. But, you know, all the stuff that you lose in Slack, I agree. Slack's been a great way to communicate. It does. It, there's some things I like about it better. But boy, the, the nuance, um, you know, people, you know, you can't infer or, or sometimes you shouldn't infer tone and, and temperament, you know, for messages. And it, it's just, I don't, there's part of me that thinks, you know, it's, it's created more havoc um, than it should. But, but certainly reading someone's body language, understanding and being able to respond that in an effective way, um, you know, when you can, when you're not an effective communicator, it can be incredibly, or effect, communicate effectively with people, it can be incredibly difficult. Yeah, and, and I, I know there's all this, you know, stuff thrown about are, are people more or less productive. I, I don't think that's the question I want to answer because it's it's a hard measurement. But I mean, 
it's almost like, do you, do you like it better or worse? You know, kind of from, you know, kind of the, when everybody was, you know, there every day to when we were all remote. And maybe the answer is a little bit of both, but I'm just kind of curious. I know we, it ends up kind of getting distilled down to this like productivity conversation, which doesn't to me seem near as interesting as just how does it make people feel? Well, I can tell you from my personal experience that working from home is too good. I never, <laughs> I want to keep it like this forever now. Well, this, is, it's, this is coming from a guy who, whose, whose only reason for starting a business was yeah. to play more video games and wake up late. So, okay. And maybe you're not the right guy to ask. Uh, it's, it's, it is fantastic. <laughs> I do feel more productive personally as well. I know we, the team feels the same. In fact, uh, everyone, we have talked about this a lot in the team. They all want to stay remote forever now. It's just the new way of the world. And is that fine for y'all? I mean, I know some people are really struggling with that right now. Like, hey, get back to the office or stay. I mean, is that, is that going to be the new culture or is that still, is that still something that's being debated hotly at, at PubNub right just now? Just the managers want everyone in the office. So <laughs> I could tell they like that better. They like that better. I like this one company. Uh, the, they took uh, all meetings off the calendar. Do you remember about this? They deleted every meeting. All meetings, all recurring meetings, gone. The entire company, all meetings are gone. And so the, every, the developers and the, the product managers, they all, had, they all knew what to do and they were very productive. The people that didn't have anything to do were the managers. They'd be like, well, what do I do now? What am I, there's nothing to do. I'm not in a meeting. That's a problem. So there are, there's catches on either side. Well, I, I, I know I've, I've borrowed a good 40 minutes of your time and that that's probably far more than I deserve. So I, maybe just kind of as, as we wrap up here, I've been doing this with, with everybody else that, that we've had on the show. And, and, and perhaps it's just because for us, this is kind of the beginning of our fiscal year. So, so, you know, we're kind of very much in this mode right now at Cockroach at, at looking ahead, right? Looking at the year ahead of us and and, and kind of doing some planning and, and trying to, you know, get excited for, you know, for what's in front of us. What, what's, what's exciting you about kind of the year ahead? What are, what are you looking forward to? Are there big plans at PubNub? Are there big plans personally? I mean, what, what's kind of the, what, what's the year look like for y'all? And I know if I, I recognize that maybe for some, this is a, a question that's two or three months old, but um, for us, it feels like we're just getting started for the year. Yeah, this is it's the beginning of the year. We have be, we have at many like twelve product initiatives that we are planning to launch. At least eight of them this year, and we uh, did get we did get one out already called Events and Actions, and this allows you to bind on different events in the system, and then uh, shepherd those that data over to your system. So you might have a Kafka bus, or you might want that data to be sent to S3, or it might want to trigger a webhook that hits an API on your server. So as you send data through our system, we can then trigger data off of, uh, onto your system. And that, that was a, a great release. Uh, we saw a nice uptick in usage when that occurred, but that's not all. We have a lot more coming, <laughs> a lot more. but just wait one more. Just wait, there's more. And, uh, uh, we are, we are doing some deep investment into our data. And I want, I want to be more descriptive, but I mean, pers purposely vague. There's, there are some, some significant advantages that, uh, as, as you become uh, a customer of PubNub's platform that we are going to expose to you, uh, that, uh, you can't get even, even yourself. 
Um, and there may be some things that we talked about at the beginning of this episode that'll be exciting to watch out for. I like that. A little mystery, a little excitement. Yeah. Well, Stephen, again, I thanked you at the beginning for coming on. Thank you again for spending time with us today. I found this conversation incredibly exciting and illuminating. Um, and I feel like I learned something. I also feel like I embarrassed myself by asking dumb questions, but, but that's okay. Um, it was really great having you on the show. I, I think what y'all have built is, is incredibly interesting and exciting. And, and if, if folks who are listening haven't had an opportunity to go visit your website and read a little bit more about the product that you're building, the problems you're solving, definitely do that because it's, it's really interesting stuff. So again, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us here on Big Ideas and App Architecture. It was a, it was a pleasure having you on. Yeah. Tim, yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Big Ideas and App Architecture podcast. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to get every new episode. Also, subscribe to our YouTube page linked in the description to watch every episode of Big Ideas. And if you want to join in on the conversation, reach out to podcast at cockroachlabs.com. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. <laughs>